Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's episode, I'll be talking comedy and politics with Jordan Klepper, the star of The Opposition on Comedy Central. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Jordan Klepper. Deborah, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. So congratulations on the show. Thank you. It's been a it's been a blast. Did you ever imagine when you started it was going to take off like this? I think I mean you know it's been sort of a I'm a very fortunate guy to get a chance to work at the Daily Show and then go into this was like kind of beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, but actually getting into it and now starting to actually engage day in and day out, put up a show every night. Like I think what has been most surprising is. The, the chaos of the news cycle and the rigor it takes to, to do a show every day. So I think now we're almost 90 shows in, and now, now I'm starting to feel like I understand what it is. So what is it? Well, that, I, don't, I didn't say I could articulate what it is. It's chaotic. It's a beast. Uh, it, is, it is so much fun. I think right now it is, it is a show that is kind of showing the chaos more than it is telling the chaos, which is sort of what we set out to do. And I think now we're starting to get a feel for like, oh, we are the opposition. We are this show that gets to embrace this alternative perspective that is this Trump perspective, that is this anti-mainstream perspective, and now we're starting to figure out the tools that we can use to tell those stories. Did you anticipate going into it what the chaos was going to be? A little bit. I think, like, in creating the show, you know, it came from me going to Trump rallies and talking to people about where they got their news from and kind of uh, this world of conspiratorial thought and paranoia. Like, I knew that that was going to be a part of America 2018, and that's why we wanted to build the show. I am surprised at how quickly things have moved, and even you know, even this week, I'm checking my my phone, and you know, Trump being so anti Jeff Bezos attacking the Washington Post, like him throwing out brand like just this week. There's these caravans of people coming into this country, creating new boogeymen. Like I think this world of paranoia and conspiracy, we knew it would be here. I didn't think I knew it was going to be so fully formed. So, how do you even begin to keep up with it on a daily basis? I mean, I have my regimen day in and day out. Like, I wake up way early and I read the papers. Uh, I, I check out what Breitbart's talking about, what Infowars is talking about, and then I do the Trump diet. So I check out at 6 o'clock. I'm watching Morning Joe, Fox and & Friends, and uh, CNN just to try to see what he's taking in. And then it's sort of an exhale, and what, can our, what does our show want to talk about, and what is our show best suited to talk about? So what do you think your show is best suited to talk about? How do you carve out a unique voice for yourself in this climate? I think there's so many good late-night shows out right now who can kind of articulate what's so frustrating about this time and place. I think what we can do is we can show, and I think 
I'm I'm a I'm a privileged white male on late night television, and I think what is so fun is I see on the fringes a lot of privileged white men with microphones in front of their faces who see themselves as victims who want to make the story about them, who see like a Me Too movement coming up and want to make it about like a men's rights movement. And so I think what is so fun for our show is like we see these culture wars that are created on the fringe, and it's like we get to create culture wars. So what we get to do is take small stories and turn them, turn, turn little molehills into mountains. We get to play the victim and show the chaos of like making me the guy who sees himself as the most aggrieved. And so I think where we have our most fun is like where I get to filter that chaos through somebody who thinks he should be the center of attention and should be America's number one victim. How did you go about then creating this character and how has he evolved over the course of those 90 episodes? I think, uh, you know, we started from a place of like, I wanted it to be a version of myself, but filtered in this conspiratorial paranoid mindset. We looked at like Alex Jones because he seems to be uh, at the forefront of that kind of attitude. Um, but functionally, Alex Jones is a much different performer than say I am and is 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 very much his own thing. And so we started to look at, uh, you know, other other sites to give the voice, the Breitbart's, the uh, Daily Caller, like uh, as sites that like give the point of view of a show. But then I started to look at uh, Tucker Carlson's shift ever more right. Sean Hannity's. They all have little bits and pieces of like I'm right, I'm the victim, I have my own reality. And so for me, what I've started to find a lot of fun in is like take the um, like a little bit of the mindset of Alex Jones and the emotion there match it with like the snide snarkiness of uh, a Tucker Carlson and then and then just try to make it all about me which Jordan Klepper already does to a degree so just up that by 20% and then in that mix uh, we find a guy to build a show out of and but what about Jordan Ke- I can't even say it Kepler like, it's so hard to say it wrong <laughs> that's right the, Jordan Jordan as Alex Jones would call me Jordan Kepler he's in there right uh I'm, I'm definitely uh, – I'm not a good enough actor to hide myself behind who that character is. Uh, and I think that's what, what you – what I learned at The Daily Show is like I, I bring myself to this character. I just widen the blind spot and from that fill it in with, uh, with ego, uh, with bluster and a little bit more dumb. And from that it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's where Jordan Klepper lives. How do you wash it off at the end of the day? Or is- <laughs> <laughs> I think usually it's – we we do a full show. I, I sit down the little. I mean, it's 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 a it's quite the beast to write a show all day. When I finally get in front of that audience, I do a little actor trick of I I man spread right before the show starts because that's who <laughs> this guy is. So of course he does. He's he's a big man spreader. It's like okay, that's who this guy is. So that show ends. I stop the man spreading. <laughs> I walk back to my office. <laughs> I take off the makeup, the the suit, uh, and then honestly the. The news moves so quick that you have to start thinking about tomorrow before you can, like, digest today. And so mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to move into producer brain as opposed to performer brain as, as soon as 8.30 hits. I mean, you've had a unique perspective on this, having come from The Daily Show sort of pre-Trump. How has that sort of changed in the way you put together a show, given that news is breaking every minute, if not every hour, you know? Like, we used to talk the pre-Trump era with The Daily Show, you got to pick the stories that you cared about and the way in which you wanted to cover them. And then Trump started to pick the narratives for you, where it's, it's all catch-up. And so I think it's, it's, it's frustrating from a comedic pers- uh, perspective, because you, you are playing catch-up, you're not getting to comment on those things because he's controlling all that narrative. I think what we started to find is, like, one, we don't have to be so slavish to every one of his tweets. A lot of other shows are going to cover that. We can cover the things that our show can 
is best suited to cover. Um, but we wanted to stay as topical as we can because I think there's a desire and a need for it. And so from day one, we were building entire acts out of one news story in a more traditional daily show manner. And quickly, a month or so in, we're like, there's just so much happening that we want to we want to talk about. And also the fun is this is a character who gets to project emotion into stories. It's more fun to have more shots on goal with that. And so we started to uh, functionally shift our, our first act to be what we, we call ice cube trays. Instead of being one big topic, it's like, let's find three stories. Let's find the meaty story that everybody's talking about. Let's find the weird story that we can bring and make a story. And let's find something else that we can physicalize or bring in another actor to play around in it. Uh, and that was that was basically a function out of wanting to do more, but also wanting to not feel like uh, we're behind the ball when it comes to this 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 media narrative. Because I think what a lot of traditional shows will do is a monologue, and it's very easy to stay on top of things with a monologue, or it's easier. And so it's like, how can we add a little bit more malleability to a structure that's more akin to The Daily Show? No, that makes a lot of sense, and especially when, like to your point, like something is changing so quickly. There are a million tweets. How do you keep up with them? And then how do you make it funny when it's already pretty absurd as it is? It's. I mean, I feel like that's a constant challenge with that. It's like, can you top what Donald Trump's already doing? I think for us, we focus on the media response, and so I think what we found our sweet spot is like. Donald Trump's going to say that one wild, crazy thing. The way in which it's spun on the right or the fringe, we have more fun showing the logic behind that. Sometimes t- Trump is going to beat us to it. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think if we can find the logic behind the way in which these things are spun and talked about and the distraction, like that's, that's where we have the most fun. You mentioned you're on the Trump diet. Are you also watching a lot of Alex Jones and Infowars to sort of take that in and help you form this character? I am. I think, like, it's good to just see what people are focused on any given day. So each morning it's, let's see what Infowars and Breitbart, like, what are their narratives? What stories are they ignoring? What stories are uh, they pushing forward? And so I'm not watching. It's, you know, it's not healthy to watch a constant stream of him. (laughs) But we're always keeping an eye on, like, where what that narrative is, what Fox's narrative is. Breitbart's, and also just social media feeds. I think it's easy to get inside your uh, echo chamber. And so for us, it's, it's very important for us to know, like, this is what a liberal show would cover, but let's talk about what is being covered on the right so we can, we can attack some of those things. And we can also uh, let our audience at home know, like, this is, this is the talking points that are happening on, online that you might not even know about. This is an idea we've seen before with Colbert and the Colbert Report. How are you making your show different or did you think that that sort of opened the door for what you were trying to do with this? I mean, I think uh, Colbert Report showed us that you could do a show day in and day out through uh, through a heightened character and through a perspective. And so I think for us, it was like, I think this is a, it's, it's a valid way to filter in the news. And as somebody who came from sketch and improv, like myself, like, that's how I'm always digesting news. It's not, I'm not a stand-up who gets up there and tells you how he feels about it. I'm, I'm an improviser and a sketch performer who is going to show you the absurdity of it. So I think seeing that Colbert was able to do that, it felt like, oh, I think we can try to craft something that feels like it's 2018. And so that's what I started to get when I was going, on the, going out to Trump rallies, talking to people, and their mindset, it didn't feel like Bush-era Colbert Americana. It wasn't uh, American flags and, like, Ronald Reaganism. It was this new ideology, which is anti-mainstream, which is putting yourself against something else, which is conspiracy and paranoia leaves you to your own little bubble. And for us, it was like, oh, I think I think that's something we want to start to have fun with. And I want to be able to play with other people in this world because it's not one clear voice. It's, it's Alex Jones. It's all these other fringe characters. Um, so we've added these citizen journalists to kind of have that energy as well. So it feels more like a, 
a confederacy of uh, ridiculous folks. What was your reaction when Alex Jones went after you? <laughs> you know, just uh, honored and blessed. <laughs> <laughs> he, technically, he went after Jordan Kepler. So Someone else, I, so, yes. so somebody else. So that, that gave me the, the distance. Otherwise, it would just hurt too much. <laughs> What would you say to him if you could talk to him? Or do you feel like you're talking to him through the show all the time? <laughs> I think I think you don't talk to him. I think he talks at yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. I think it is really interesting to watch because he does have to fill so much space and content, which I think is <laughs> it's emblematic of our culture right now. There is so much content mm-hmm. that is out there. And so like he's constantly filling four hours of space day in and day out. So he's looking for little fires to get him upset and to rant on. And so... Like for us, we try to keep an eye on it, but we don't. We don't want to just be somebody who's in constant conversation with him. Um, but when he crosses a line, like he did uh, a few weeks ago with the, the the shooting in Parkland and the the crisis actors discussion, like it felt like this is something that is dangerous. So it's it's our responsibility to call this out and call BS where we see it. It feels like you've really made gun control a passion project of yours. Why is it so important to you? Why is it so important to have that conversation right now? Well, I, w- I was able to see uh, the conversation and the, the the frustrating conversation that was going on in America with The Daily Show and the ability to see some things up close, to take some, um, some training courses and active shooter training for a piece with The Daily Show to kind of play out this, this fallacy of a good guy with a gun and talk to a lot of people on both sides there. Uh, it's something that played out as a kid growing up in Michigan. Uh, guns meant something different than they meant uh, to me as a person living in New York. And so I thought it was a very, um, it's a very American issue. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see how many people die due to gun violence in America and how little we can do. And I think that was something that was so infuriating was to see this is something so many people care about. It's hurting so many folks. Right. We can't have that conversation. And so I will say with the show, with the last month and a half, we've just been really invigorated that it feels like there might actually be some movement in this conversation. And these students... They're amazing. Oh, they're incredible. And we you know, we had them on the show, and and it, it, it was really inspiring to see people who are so clear-headed, and they have a moral authority, they have an experience, and they just... There's no politics about it. It's right. just, we are worried... We, we are under threat. And I, I, went to this, I went to this march, and I talked to a bunch of students who were not Parkland students who were just like, you'd ask, why are you here? It's like, I don't want to be next. And that's all you need to hear. And I think it gets so frustrating when you see the politicians or more so the pundits on each side who's trying to, to make this a political argument. It's like, these are students who grew up in a time where they have to do active shooter training drills. They all do now. Like, they're worried about this, and they, they are just pleading with our government to try to make a, a dent in this. And I think what is so infuriating is so many people want something to be done. And I think, I think where I get so frustrated and where I think it's important to keep the conversation going is that I do think most Americans, Americans agree on the conversation. And, and it will disappear because nobody's holding politicians' uh, feet to the flames. But I think for the first time, these, these, these students have like reinvigorated the conversation in a way that there is a chance that little things can happen. And I think that's good. Like, I think mm-hmm. uh, it's too easily... The argument is too easily thrown out by uh, gun lobbyist groups who are like, well, you can't solve everything. Well, 30,000 people are going to die. There's not one thing you can do. It's like, exactly. But there's little things we could do, mm-hmm. and we should start to have that conversation. Otherwise, I, I, it just it's going to feel like the whole system is broken. And I think that's why I look at this one issue. It's like we have to be able to make little little steps towards progress. Otherwise, like we, <laughs> otherwise, what do we have this government for? Absolutely. I mean, what do you think your role in this can be to help move this argument forward, given that the kids have done such a great job of jump-starting it? I think for us, like, we, we approach all of our things, you know, from a comedian's point of view and, like, how can we, 
how can our show speak to these topics? But let's bring in the topics that we're passionate about and have something to say. And I think with this uh, with this particular discussion, for us it's really important to give voice to the people who can articulate that, which mm-hmm. was the students. I think we had students on uh, a week after, and then when the, the discussion became about uh arming teachers. We had teachers on our show to discuss like whether that was a good idea, a teacher who had been a part of a shooting and stopped a shooting with a gun. We had him on to talk about, like, do you think other teachers should be armed? Because I think we're constantly balancing this tricky, uh, this tricky idea of playing a character who can go vile, who can go, who, who's going to swing a blunt object in a, a very negative way to try to make a positive point. And so for us, I think we can show the dark side of this conversation, but it's important for us to also uh, counterweigh it with people who can articulate why it is so important. So I think we're going to continue to make it a part of the conversation, and as it is out there, uh, continue to bring people who are a part of it who can articulate why it's something that we should be talking about. Do you have specific ideas for what you want to do in this next batch of episodes? I think we have an, a new big run here. I think we're we're looking to heighten a couple of the things that we're doing already. We just did a uh, our first... Uh, we called it a pop-up show where we went to Maryland and did it in a, a student's bedroom because they were uh, prepping to get people ready for the march. And that was a really exciting thing for us to, I think, to take a show on the road and not just do it in another uh, TV studio, but do it from a place that felt like America. And I think a fun part of this show is like, oh, we see ourselves anti-mainstream, so we love this idea of flyover country or going and talking to the real people. I think that's often a shield these fringe characters use to give them uh, credibility. So I think we're going to use elements of that, but but also just from a, a, a logistical point of view, it's really fun for us to interact with more real people and get out there outside of the New York studio. Are there other interviews you're going to be pursuing also? Who's your you know who's on your wish list? Oh, I mean, I think there's we, we've had a lot of really fun folks already. I would love to talk to I mean, I'd love to talk to Mark Zuckerberg right now. But <laughs> I want to know what he's thinking. What do we all exactly? <laughs> we have questions. We Mark. all have questions. I'm sure he's panicking right now. I want I want to I want to hear what his thoughts are. I think that is the next. I think for the first time we're starting to really look at these. Uh, these platforms that have been created and control our our discourse and our, our our politics, and I think we're asking the right questions about what is the responsibility there. So it'd be really nice to talk to people in that field and, and get clear answers, or at least get a feeling for where we're directed. Given that there are so many sort of late night and interview shows, what makes a good guess for you? What makes sense for you versus another platform? I think for what it, what is fun about coming on the opposition is I am this character, so no matter what. It's an odd interview to sit down across, and I think that's – I think as an interviewer, it's a, it's a challenge to have to filter things through this perspective. As somebody who is being interviewed, I know it's, it's strange to try to have to counterbalance, like, what is he trying to get with this? He's trying to make the opposite point through this thing. I think what I found to be really exciting about it is – I got this right from one of the Parkland students – is I interviewed them. It was, it was a tricky interview because I'm, I'm playing this person who's essentially negging them. Uh, about their experiences, uh, uh, you know, a week to 10 days after being a part of a shooting. And they handled it like pros, and they were amazing kind of navigating what that was. And I asked them afterwards, like, like how was that experience? And they're like, oh, I loved it. It was like talking to the Internet. <laughs> wow. and, I, and I realized from that point, it was like, oh, they're like, oh, yeah. They're like, this is – I get attacked like this all the time on the Internet. I actually got to talk back here, which was great. And for me, that was really fun. I was like, yeah, we are this oppositional force. And so, like, it's fun to hear people like that who are like, it's cathartic to fight back against these voices that scream at them at the Internet. 
Uh, so I think I think the show is 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 perfect for that for people who don't get to engage in conversation with the fringe internet, and it's also fun for people on the conservative side as well. Like we had Alan Dershowitz on this past week, um, pushing for a more a more pro-Trump agenda in terms of the Mueller investigation, and I think that was it was a really interesting interview because I'm coming at it. Uh, from a progressive point of view, but playing somebody who's very conservative, and he's coming at it as somebody who's a liberal who's also pushing conservative points of view. And so I think in mind that you, you have a mind meld, the, the meta 2018 world. I'm like, exactly. yeah, it's, it's, a nice, it's, it's a nice mess that it's, it's not just going to be a pat interview. How do you, do you worry about people taking you at face value and really believing this character for what he says? I didn't for quite some time because I think intention's the number one thing for us and I think like we're always balancing like is it clear what we're trying to get at um, but I do hear stories of people coming up and projecting how they want to see this character act and liking to hear some of the extreme points of view that we have and that that is worrisome I think like you can only control so much as far as what your what your intention is in putting it out there I think the people that I'm most excited about are there are people who, have, uh, who are more conservative who have become fans of the show and they articulate, like, I disagree with how you might go after Donald Trump. But what I can appreciate is, like, I'm somebody who supports Donald Trump, but finds some of the things he does ridiculous. And what I like is I can see somebody showing that and not just being mad at Donald Trump, because that immediately puts me off. But somebody who's uh, showing some of the machinations behind that, that's something I can laugh at because I've been caught up in that as well. Like, those are that's the fan base that interests me most mm-hmm. and gives me some hope of, like, oh, I'm glad that you can, you know, <laughs> you can be... I can be making fun of your point of view, but you can still be on board. It's like it's 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 why I laugh at Portlandia. They might be making fun of half of the things that I embrace, or why I wait in line for brunch, but I can I can still see that uh, that humor inside of me. You have to be able to laugh at yourself. You got to be able to, otherwise, what are we fighting for? No, and I think it's look, it's important that we not that we get out of our bubbles. Like mm-hmm. you know, can realize that I just listen to or read things that you know are going to agree or reinforce my opinions, and you have to get something that shines a light on the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think wherever we can do that, where you can you can break outside just a little. But we keep pushing so it's not just an echo chamber for uh, progressive values. And, and usually having a filter like that allows us to dabble in both worlds. I know this is a scripted show, but what do you make of the success of Roseanne? Do you think it tapped into something? Are people making too much of it? I think it's really interesting. I think it, it, it shows that everything is is political now. Um, I think I was a little shocked at how it was immediately wielded on both sides of like, aha, this is a big win for like the, the, on the, the right saw this is a giant watershed moment. It was like the right's version of Black Panther. Oh my God, God help us. And they, I was like, okay, I guess that's a giant win. And the left, the conversation on the left, I think there's a million opinion pieces there. I think it is blown up larger than it needs to be. But it, it shows you that like we are so tuned up right now that you can't create entertainment without it having to... Uh, go against your true beliefs or with it. And I think, like, everything. We're drawing lines everywhere. And it <laughs> it scares me a bit. No, it scares me, too. And I think it's an interesting point because sometimes, like, maybe just people want a nostalgic family comedy. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't a larger message about, you know, the state of politics in this country. It's Everything is so us versus them. I think that's that was one of our, our big theses when we got into the show. It's like, it's opposition. You have to be against something. And it I mean, it's ridiculous. Roseanne came on and everything piece is like, this is my show. Finally, I have a show. <laughs> right. Like, your show is the show from 20 years ago. It's Roseanne that conservatives hated 20 years ago. Okay. Uh, it okay. is a little bit mind-blowing to think about it that yeah. way. Think about, like, the show was groundbreaking for what it was 20 years ago, and now that we've done a complete 180. I mean, I think that there's you, you see a, a really interesting progression with Roseanne and also with Donald Trump. Like, 
Roseanne, Roseanne 25 years ago was like, this was a liberal show that Roseanne Barr was somebody who sang, like, sang the national anthem and grabbed her crotch. And right. we all see as this like liberal, uh, boorish figure who now is like a champion of like the right. Like that's kind of what we did with Donald Trump is this, this, this progressive from New York who was a bore, but we kind of liked him. And now I guess he's the face of modern conservatism. So it's like, eh. At least Americans can change. Exactly. We've learned nothing, but we can evolve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How long do you think you can keep this character going? Do you think, you know, are you dependent on Alex Jones lasting, or is it just as long as Trump's in office? I mean, I think, I think the American character is built out of uh, paranoia and, uh, and conspiracy fringe thought. And so I, I, I hope that all of those characters shut down and we become a much more rational society, and this feels like it doesn't echo something. Uh, I think. For us, it feels like this is very much a part of our culture right now and that we're only getting more and more in our bubbles in a way that allows like this this paranoid fever dream and this idea of like I'm not going to trust mainstream thought or experts. Sadly, that feels like that's only trending upward. Uh, so I think we're going to continue to like it, we're, we're not we're not based. If Infowars shuts down tomorrow, that doesn't affect the, the main point of view that's coming out of the Oval Office. So I think like we look to keep reflecting that attitude as long as it's there. What's the hardest part of doing the show? I think the day in day out it it's it, it's it's so much it's so much information like choosing the points you want to make and when you want to make them. I think uh I feel inundated with the amount of news every day all day on my phone beeping in the morning yelling at me like there's it feels like there's nothing but fires going on in America and so I think the first few weeks for us we felt like oh my god we're not covering everything and i think it's it's taking a breath and saying we are not a news show you know we are commenting we're a comedy show like let's let's be able to choose the things we want to uh focus on and let the other things be fought over for another day and so like understanding that you're not going to tell the whole story but being focused on telling that part of the story that you can tell well has been the biggest challenge for us Given your background in improv, how much do you get to improv on a nightly basis, or is it tightly scripted? It's it's tightly scripted. I think the interviews are very improv, if not all improv. I go in with a, a, a game plan, and then we just riff off of one another. I think improv is mostly used as a function to to write. Like in the brainstorm process at the beginning of the day, we're throwing things out, we're riffing in the room, we're playing off of one another. But as that day goes along, it, it has to get more and more crafted down to you know, wording and what have you. Like, I, I still find moments and flourishes and ways in which to surprise myself and the show. Uh, uh, but usually it's used as a creative tool to get to that polished tool. Any particular moments you're proudest of over the course of the first batch of episodes? I, you know what? I think, like, I've been really proud of our, our pop-up show. I thought was a... We, we were able to turn a show around really quickly. We were able to speak to, I thought, the moment and the movement and talk to both students who were affecting change, the Baltimore uh, or the suburban Maryland voter uh, students who were uh, bringing people in. And also we did a field piece about students in Baltimore who weren't being talked about, who were victims of gun violence in their community. And, like, I was very proud of the fact that it was that was a story that uh, they were frustrated because in this whole conversation their voice wasn't heard. And so the fact that we got to cover that was a, a proud point. Uh, I also at one point ate two Big Macs and two filet of fishes and a milkshake. So that is a. <laughs> I don't a know. If it, I think that's a highlight. <laughs> Donald Trump would approve. I, he that would diet. approve. We ate his. Uh, we ate his diet, and then we talked about Literally. Israel. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like I think, I think if this show is about showing and not telling. That seemed to be one. I'm and I'm, I'm proud of our like war on men segments because we really it allows me to play the victim in a way that feels like 
it, it feels like I can exude the thing that I'm most frustrated at. And when we're able to do that, it feels like a success. Um, how do you compare the two iterations of The Daily Show that you've sort of been a witness to and a part of? How has the show evolved? I mean, Donald Trump is a, a really unique part of all of this. And I think that started to happen at the end of John's reign and then all through Trevor's. So, like, I came into a well-oiled machine that was really focused in, at getting to work with John. John was, like, an amazing mentor who I'd watched forever. And so that was, like, in, an incredible experience to be a part of. And Trump comes in, and we kind of think it's going to be a blip, <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then Trevor comes in, and already the show is shifting where we have to be much more adaptive to what's going on. And I think what was really fun about Trevor's iteration is, like, that man, is he's got ice in his veins. It's a tough job to walk in to not only do a, a show every day, but to do Jon Stewart's show. And I think he was very collaborative in a way of, like, I want you to do your thing. I want to support you in doing your thing. He was very supportive of me, like, going out and doing the kind of pieces I wanted to do. And as was John, but I kind of went into John's show. And then going into Trevor's show, Trevor wanted to, like, keep exploring and pushing things. And so um, I think what's been really nice is you're watching him get more and more comfortable what what his show is the types of pieces he wants to do, the types of correspondence he wants to bring in and what that relationship is. Because I feel like that's something, for me, that evolved probably the most. Because with John, a correspondent was very much a um, uh, satirizing traditional news correspondence. And in the Trevor era, it's a much more earnest uh, comedian's role in some ways. Like you have Hassan playing a character, but also playing like a very much a part of himself, which is, which is true to kind of what Trevor brought to that show as somebody who was less interested in satirizing news formats and more using like that as a structure to comment on news. And so that felt like that was an evolution that was already starting to happen, but like Trevor kind of accelerated it. Now that you've got your own show that follows his, how do you collaborate with him? Do you talk about what you're going to do? Or just it- we like uh, Trevor and I will talk. I mean, he's uh, he's an EP and like uh, gives great guidance on the show when we talk a little bit about it. I think we communicate throughout the day as to topics that we're discussing on both shows so that we, we try not to have much overlap. What we quickly realize is the shows move so fast you you almost don't have time to have many conversations. Uh, but we, we, we're always keeping an awareness of like the way in which they're going to cover stuff and the way in which we're going to cover it and then looking for ways to kind of incorporate those shows. And I think that's actually in these next six weeks we're finding ways where the opposition can be a little bit more antagonistic to the Daily Show and kind of be more uh, try to provoke the show in kind of a, a big brothery kind of way. That will be fun. I think it's it's a blast. I mean, I love I love playing with Trevor, and whenever we get to do those tosses back and forth between shows or any kind of things together, it's it's a fun rivalry to to play around. What did you learn from working with John Stewart? I mean, so much. I think uh, the man is incredibly talented on so many things. Uh, his decisiveness was. Uh, so incredible for me to watch. And I think as somebody who's learning to be a leader, like I would watch him, you know, as a leader and as a leader doing a daily show, you get 20 ideas thrown at you and you got to throw 19 away and pick that one and go with it. And I remember watching like uh, them do an act one, people come to the table and John making edits as to how they're going to edit it down for time within a minute after act one is filmed and getting into act two, decision, 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 done, 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 good, let's keep moving on. And there's just... Like, I, there was somebody who was just so in his world and so knew what he wanted to say that, like, you saw that efficiency. He knew how to, at that point, like, get a show done and create very clear lanes for himself and for his employees. Um, and I think, like, that's something I try to think about and take with me as I'm creating my new show. 
What would you ask Donald Trump if you ever got him on the show? Oh. <laughs> Is it almost over? <laughs> like, please. Like, are we close? Are we close? Uh, what else do you need from this thing? Like, just ballpark it. A month? Two years? Seven years? What, where are we at? <laughs> Well, it's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking with the cast of Jesus Christ Superstar Live, John Legend, Sarah Bareilles, and Brandon Victor Dixon. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.